Thank you, Peter. Deirdre's on her way up. We're going to look at Psalm 97, um, and she's going to give you a page number, because I haven't got it. Um, Psalm 97, and it's page 603 in the Church Bibles. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire go before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame, those who boast in idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hands of the wicked. Light is sown on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Just test the volume on this, didn't get Excuse me, didn't get to do a sound check before. Is that working okay? We'll just go back to see the um, translator code. If you're using Microsoft Translator, it's there on the bottom here. T-U-P-Y-Z. That's the Microsoft Translator app, <coughs> if you'd like a uh, live translation in a language of your choice. Psalm 97. Psalm 97, uh, page 603 in the Church Bible that Deirdre had uh, that read to us a few moments ago. Uh, what's it like being alone in a crowd? Specifically, the kind of crowd where everybody else thinks one thing and you think something else. It's a bit like you're the away fan who's come in at the home end by mistake. And everyone else is around you. City! City! And you're there. United. United. I wonder, is being a Christian a bit like that sometimes to you? It feels like everyone around you thinks exactly the same thing, which is different to what you believe. <clears throat> and you're really hoping, like that away fan, that the guy doesn't, next to you doesn't just stop and say, hang on, whose team are you on? What do we feel? Maybe you've had that in the workplace. Oh, what do you think about that? You go to church, what do you think? And the office goes quiet and everyone looks at you. You feel that sense of embarrassment, maybe? Shame? Go even quieter? <clears throat> what about if you're not a believer in Jesus? And there are some people here that, this morning, and you're very welcome. Well, as you uh, hear this morning, I want you to think about uh, what team are you on? Are you on Team Jesus, or are you on another side? Because you want to be on the right team, okay? You want to be on the right team. In some ways, we all want to be a glory hunter. 
just to change the metaphor to sport, if you were, if you were backing a horse and you knew the outcome of the race, you knew which horse was going to win and you knew which ones were going to lose, wouldn't that affect your decision? When you've got skin in the game, you don't want to be on the wrong side. When your life is on the line, as the Bible tells it is, tells us it is, you want to make the right choice. Team Jesus or another team? All right, so how do you know if you're on the right team? In the stands, how do you know if you're on the right team? Well, the supporters tell you something, but actually, what's much more important than the supporters? What's happening on the pitch? What's happening in front of you? <clears throat> well, this morning, we're going to look on the pitch, as well as hear the supporters. We're going to look on the pitch, and we're going to see the God we praise. We're going to see the God we praise as Christian believers, and we are going to rejoice as we see him. That's my aim this morning, that we would rejoice, and that we would rejoice as we rejoice, that we would be glad, that we have good reasons to be glad, that we're not having to fake it. We have reasons to rejoice. Uh, looking at the structure then of Psalm 97, split into three this morning, and it's where the NIV makes the paragraph breaks. Verses one to six is the first section, uh, and that's the Lord who reigns. Then verse 7 by itself, the gods who shame. And then verses 8 to the end, the people who proclaim. We're going to go through each of these three sections. And then after each one, we're going to have a time of reflection. A couple of minutes uh, with a question or two for you to think where you are, uh, are at. So to let you know that's coming and you'll get a bit of space uh, to reflect. <clears throat> All right, section uh, A then, the, uh, the, uh, the Lord who reigns. Let's look at this. Look at the first line, as Andrew's already read it to us, and Deirdre again, and I'm going to read it a third time. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Yes. Earth could be many things because the Lord reigns. But can you see right from the outset that the fact that God reigns, that he rules, that he is king, is good. Glad. Let the earth be glad. How does it feel for planet earth that, that God reigns? Glad. It's happy. It's good. The world is relieved that God reigns. It feels good. The Lord reigns. The God of Israel reigns. The God who has shown himself in Jesus reigns. Let the distant shores rejoice. It's not just local news. It's for the whole world. And then just have a look what the psalmist says about this incredible God who reigns. Verse 2. Do you see that he is mysterious and awe-inspiring? Clouds and thick darkness surround him. If you've ever watched um, superhero movies, uh, you know one of the things they do to try and make someone look really mysterious is they put lots of smoke uh, and lights, and, and you can't quite make out who this incredibly powerful figure is. It's really effective, isn't it? Mystery, power. God is that one himself. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. And as we draw closer, what do we see? Do we see someone who is evil? Often happens in those films, it's the big baddie who's surrounded by clouds and thick darkness. What do we see as the clouds part, as, as it were, as we are allowed through the clouds to take a glimpse at the one there? Second half of verse two. Righteousness. Justice. Are the foundation of his throne. God rules because he is good. 
We saw that in our series in Isaiah again and again. God cares about justice. Justice. Fairness. That is our God. Do you see why it's glad? It's good news? It's not an evil God. It is someone who is good. Perfectly good. But that doesn't mean it's all nicey-nicey. Verse 3. We get another picture. Fire goes before him and and consumes his foes. Fire consuming people. That's an awful picture, isn't it? If you saw someone being burned alive. God's righteousness and justice are that pure. They are that blazing. He is not someone you can skip up to. He is a God of righteousness and justice. And when we realize that we are not, it makes us very careful. God is a God of fire, blazing fire. And then the picture goes again, changes, verse 4. Lightning lights up the world. Have you ever seen lightning really light up the sky? It's like the lights have just been turned on suddenly. His lightning, it's God's lightning. His lightning lights up the world. And everyone sees it and trembles. Sometimes we tell children, don't be scared, it's just a thunderstorm. Maybe we could change that slightly. That's God's. That's God's. Let's fear the Lord. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. Verse 5, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. A couple of summers ago, uh, I went um, up uh, one of the mountains in Keswick with uh, some of the young people from Christchurch. And if that's something to, uh, if you ever need something to remind yourself you're not as young as you thought you were, or as you used to be, uh, going up Hellvelin with a few people who are skipping ahead of you, and you say, oh, don't worry, I'll look after the ones at the back. And whenever they look like they're flagging, you say, let's have a little break, everyone. <laughs> you look up at the mountain and think, that's a lot of work. I'm going to have to get up it. I'm going to have to try my hardest. Maybe it's going to get the better of me. But when God walks towards the mountain, what happens? It melts. The power of God. Nothing can stand in his way. This is the kind of king, a powerful king. And it goes on then, verse 6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. We look at the mountains, the the most impressive thing, as it were, on on the earth. And then we look up and see the heavens and the stars. They proclaim his righteousness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The heavens proclaim that. And then it is seen by all. All people see his glory. Everyone sees lightning. And everyone in their heart of hearts is struck by the beauty and power of it. We might understand it better scientifically than the psalmist did. But not at the deepest level. It is God's lightning. And it shows his glory. The Lord reigns. Do you see that? As we think about being embarrassed in a crowd of people, who are we praising as Christians? We are praising this Lord. This is the one we praise. That is the person on the pitch. That is the person doing the business. And when you're winning 10-0, you don't mind cheering quite so much, do you? This is our God. Brother, sister, our Lord, your Lord, is the eternally reigning, 
awe-inspiring, justice-giving, fire-bringing, earth-trembling, mountain-melting, glorious king. That is your God. Amen? I want to have some time to reflect before we move on. We're going to reflect. The question in blue, particularly for you at the bottom, if you're a believer, what is it in this psalm that inspires you to praise? And if you're not a believer yet, you don't know where you stand with Jesus maybe, this question in green, who or what is the greatest thing that you follow? And how does that compare to the Lord in these verses? We're going to have uh, two minutes. Two minutes, there'll be some uh, quiet music played for you to think about that. Maybe pray where you are, a moment by yourself, and then we'll come back. But two minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Into our second section, just verse 7. The gods who shame. Worship imaging, uh, worshipping images, idols are the gods. What does the psalmist say? All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, anyone who boasts in these other beings, other things, is put to shame. And then there's a command to the gods themselves, lowercase g, small g, gods, to worship the Lord. Thinking about shame and embarrassment, the only one in a crowd, to see who the psalmist says will be ashamed. The one who trusts in anyone apart from the Lord. 
the Lord who reigns. So I have to tell you this morning what the Bible says. If you are someone who is following anyone else apart from Jesus, the Bible says you will be deeply ashamed. It's more than just embarrassed. It's that laid bare, shown to be wrong, wishing the, the ground would swallow you up, wishing you'd never been born. That is what the Bible says. Now, um, many of us are British, and kind of feeling embarrassed is the British way, right? Even when it goes well, we feel a bit embarrassed and it's gone well. Let alone if we put our foot in it, we say the wrong thing. We have to <laughs> factor that in, in terms of our sense of shame. But here, this is, this is more than that. This is more than just awkwardness. This is, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? But if the Lord is the Lord of one to six, how stupid to worship anyone else. How foolish to support the team that's already lost, to put your life on the line with them when there is someone who has already won the victory. I love the twist in verse 7. You have these people kind of worshipping an image, bowing down to an idol. Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. And the idol's standing there like this. Ding. And then suddenly what happens? The idol themselves realizes the Lord reigns. And what does the idol do? Worship. The idol, the God, the lowercase g, all these gods, they bow down. They bow down. And so what of the person who was doing the first bowing down? Well, now they look ridiculous. They have chosen to give their best to someone who is not worth it. What are these gods? Well, in Israel's time, and many cultures still around the world, will have physical gods, like a shrine in a house or in a temple, some sort of thing that people will physically bow down to. And it is both a being and represents an idea. We tend to have that less in the Western world. But the principle still applies of what we give our lives to, what we think is the best thing. One way to work out gods lowercase g, is to think about your goods. All gods, in a sense, are goods, good things, that we have made too important. Good things that we have made too important. If I bring up the uh, reflection, and um, we're not going to start it just yet, but just look up, uh, on there. Uh, here's a list of some goods. All good things. Health, appearance, having nice things, uh, professional success, having the respect and admiration of others, uh, good education for yourself or for others, having uh, relationships, whether they're romantic ones, or uh, family relationships or, or friendships. These are all good things. But it is possible for these goods to become gods for us. And they work by us sacrificing continuously to it. What is the thing that you make the tough choices for? The thing you give away time to constantly. And they become gods when they go against what God, the Lord of all, calls us to do. We're thinking we want to be as a church, a church that loves Christ, loves his people, loves our town. It is possible to start putting those sorts of things aside for a good. Maybe another way to think about it is, is it what you measure other people by? Have a think about it. If you, if you just met someone in Harpenden, how would you start measuring them up? 
what kind of per what would you what kind of scale would you put them on? Would you think, oh, I wonder what kind of house they live in? What kind of job they have? What kind of relationships they are, have? How, how would you measure them? I, you know, what kind of scale would you put them on? Do they look cheerful all the time? Are they strong? Are they fast? How do you measure people? What do you envy in people? When you are, feel jealous about someone, why are you jealous of them? Maybe that is a good that has become a God for you. So that, let's take education. I'll just talk this through before we have our uh, second reflection. So let's say education becomes, for us, a good that has become a God. And so when we meet someone who doesn't know Jesus but is getting top grades, deep down, we think they're better off than someone who does know Jesus but is really pretty average, average to poor in the classroom. What does the psalm say? Those who boast in idols, those who worship images, these goods that we have made into gods, will be put to shame. What does education promise to give us? If we really work hard, if we sacrifice everything to it, if we skip church, if we put aside time for, with God instead and put it on time with our textbooks, what does it promise us? Because it does promise us something. It's a good thing. Good grades. Good grades leading to a good job, good experiences, more money. Prestige, respect of others, maybe at least the other things on there. A sense of worth is a good thing. But where does it end, friends? Well, one day, we may have a good job, and then we'll retire. And we'll step away from that. And suddenly, one of the things that we are known for, we become a thing of the past. And then if we push that on to the ultimate retirement, one day you will hand all that you have over to someone else. All of it. I recommend if you haven't listened or weren't there to the evening service uh, series we've had in the book of Ecclesiastes, which picks up on this. The world has lots of good stuff, but if we invest in it with our hearts, we will be miserable. Because goods cannot be gods. They will shame us. And so... Another couple of minutes over to you to have this reflection. This is a question for all of us, whoever, uh, whatever we believe. Has one of these goods, and it of course could be another, I just listed some that our um, uh, working group on uh, outreach looked at recently. Is one of these goods becoming a God for you? And ask yourself, just yourself, you don't have to tell anyone else, how might it ult ultimately fail you if you worship it? You will be put to shame if you make these things your God. Over to you for a couple of minutes. Thank you.
thank you. If you like, you can come and ask me what my thing is. Uh, and you're very welcome to do that. But be aware, I'll probably ask you uh, the same question back. All right, let's move on to the third section. The people who proclaim, verses 8 through to the end of the psalm, verse 12. The people who proclaim. Who are these people? Who, is the one, who are the ones who are talking? Well, do we see in verse 8, it's God's people. That's Zion, the city of God, and the villages of Judah. God's people are the ones who proclaim. Verse 10, those who love the Lord. Those who love him, those who seek his way. And that's spelt out then in verses 11 and 12. The righteous, those who live according to the foundation of the throne of God. Those who go God's way, not uh, the way of the goods, things, uh, goods that are around them. There's a few things in here that really struck me. One is verse 10. Do you see? If you love God, you must hate evil. If you love God, hate evil. Do we notice which comes first? We don't start with hate. We start with loving God first, which makes sense. He's the one who reigns and seeking his way. And the second comes as a result. Love and hate are, as it were, the two sides of the same coin. If you really love something, but don't hate the things that are against it, then you don't really love it, do you? A parent who loves their child doesn't shrug when that child is hurt. No, they hate the things that hurt their child. Hate follows love. The tattoos on the knuckles have a point. Love and hate come together. But love first. And here we also have the definition of evil. Those things which are against the reign of God. That's how we define evil. That's how the Bible defines evil. Those things that are against the rule of God. Primarily those things which are hate him. And then secondarily, those who hate those he has shown his favor to. Those who hate the people he has created, who take advantage of them. This includes the making of goods into gods. Because every time we do that, we go against the Lord. And so here we're instructed, or encouraged rather, if you love God, do hate evil. Don't settle for evil. Don't think, oh, well, those people are against God, but that's okay. Each to their own. No, we can be against that. We can pray that they would be changed. We pray that the Lord would reign in their life. It's not a command to go out and fix all the evil that we see. But we are not to encourage it or embrace it or shrug our shoulders at it. We are to be a passionate people because the Lord reigns. If this is you, if you are one of God's people, if you have put your trust in Jesus, what are we to do? What can we do? It's there in verse 8 and again in verse 12. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. The earth is glad and you can be too. Because this God is your God. And we can proclaim his praise. That's where the psalm finishes. Rejoice and praise his holy name. Why? Because the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. We can be joyful as we praise. It's not have to, having to kind of force praise out grudgingly. 
when we don't feel like we can praise, let us look back to God. It's there in verse 11. We had read, actually, uh, the footnote. Light is sown on the righteous. Light is sown. It's a beautiful picture. It was sown, sown seed. Uh, during lockdown, we sowed uh, courgette seed. I've got so many courgettes. Now, I don't know if courgettes give you joy. I quite like them. It's amazing, this, this thing, and it, and it produces a harvest. Light is sown on you. And joy is put in your heart. And it grows. God is the one who gives that, this joy. I think we all know deep down that we want to be joyful praisers, don't we? When we meet someone who's a joyful praiser, we think, yes, I want to spend more time with you, and I'd like to be more like you. A joyful praiser of God. And we get to do it because it's right, it's true. It's not against God's character to praise him. Joy, gladness. It's the opposite of the embarrassed mumble. Praise. Praise. I've been wondering if this has been something that's been missing in my thinking about how we might love Harpenden. We want to pray for Harpenden. We want to share the gospel with Harpenden. We want to connect with their needs. But might we also love Harpenden by praising God? By praising him? By filling it with the praise of the one who is worthy? That people might think, I want what they have. This God must be worth something. Surely, no one praises something that wholeheartedly if there's nothing in it. There are many things we can do to reach out. We could um, share particular arguments. Logical, uh, there's one called the Kalam Cosmological Argument about the existence of God. It's a very interesting argument. I think it's very good. We could distribute that by leaflet so that everyone read it in the town. I don't think many people would come in because that's not what moves us, is it? We want to know deep down that there is someone worth the very best that we have. Praise. Praise. Uh, we're quite a quiet, polite group of people, aren't we? That's all right. But as quiet, polite people, can we praise? And as people get to know us, they know, oh, he said, God's quite good. And for him, that's the biggest praise that he can give. And of course, not all of us are like that. God is worthy of praise. Worthy of it. So let us grow in praising. Let's encourage each other. It is both a decision and a discipline. Praise is a discipline because sometimes we don't feel like it. Let's just take singing, for example. You have to take a breath. That's a decision. It takes a bit of effort to sing well, to stand up, to look at the words, to go for it. Can I encourage you to make the most out of our song worship together as church? Don't think, do I like the song? Don't think, am I good at singing? The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. I'm going to fill my lungs with as much air as I can get in there. I'm going to sing as best I can to the one who made me. And he knows whether he made me tone deaf or not. And he rejoices to see my heart, not my technical skill. And can I encourage you that that's um, how we feel about one another? I was once in, I don't know if I've said this before, actually. I was once in um, a, a London men's convention. It was at the Albert Hall. It was packed. And the singing was brilliant. 
But I had a friend with me, right next to me, and he is not a great singer. So I had in one ear this wonderful sound filling the Albert Hall, and then I had in my other ear my friend. It's good, because he loves God. When we see that, that's what we want, isn't it? The heart that praises him. Mm, That really got me. I didn't expect that. I am encouraged greatly when I see people worshipping in their own way. But going for it, please don't be held back by people around you. How do you worship? Respond to the Lord. He reigns. We're not going to be drowned out. We're not too loud. You are never too loud to praise God. Because the earth rejoices. The heavens proclaim. You're just joining in. If anyone's got a problem, it's me when I don't express it. And actually, we can encourage each other. We can grow each other as we sing together, as we worship with our bodies, with our voices. It can be a discipline at home as well. There's lots of worship music you can get. Find good stuff full of the Bible's truth and listen to it. Sing it. Meditate on the word with music or walking in nature. This psalm helps us. When you look up, what does the sky say? The Lord is glorious and he reigns. What does the lightning say? The Lord reigns. What do the mountains say? The Lord reigns. Let us be disciplined. Let us make the decision for one another as well. Why not talk to people about that? Can we bring in a bit more praise into our conversations? I'm praising God for. Or I'm grateful to God because we could do that with each other for sure. But what about your next door neighbor? Did you have a good holiday? Oh yeah, I did. I'm really thanking God because we had a great time. That's all it is. But praise Because if it's true, if you're glad of what God has given you, then you can say it. We are a people who proclaim, and we will love people very well if we tell them how great God is, because that is the thing they need to know the most. Back into reflection. For believers, what could you try this week to enjoy and praise God? And how could it become more of your public life? And then if you're not a believer... There's a big question. What is your life going to be in praise of? When you get to the end of your life, what is going to be the thing that you've lifted up? And could today be the day when you make the choice to start praising the God who reigns? A couple of minutes. Over to you.
Thank you. I want to finish just briefly picturing Jesus. Picturing Jesus as the reigning one. I want to commend to you our Savior who died for our sin, who rose again to give us life. The Lord reigns over all the earth. And when we think of that, when we have that in our minds, we are struck all the more by what Jesus does in his time on earth. Just in Mark chapter 4, very well-known passage. The disciples and Jesus are in a boat. And a furious squall comes up and the waves breaks over, so it's nearly swamped. They are nearly drowned. Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? No, they're just teacher. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The Lord Jesus is the one who mountains melt before. He is the one who reigns over all the earth. He reigns. As we've seen in Colossians, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What does the earth do at the football match of the gods? Jesus. Jesus. And if someone shouts anything else, the earth just shouts louder. Jesus, he is the one who is supreme over all things. You see, there's something wrong about our first picture, because you're not in the minority. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're not in the minority. Even if all of humanity was against you, the whole of creation worships Christ. Jesus reigns. Let us be glad. A moment of quiet, and then we're going to sing in praise of him. As the musicians come up, we're going to sing in praise of Jesus, the King of Kings.